It's January 2018. Tom Grandy on Backdrop, Drupal, and Education. Welcome to Hacking Culture, free software and the art of hacking. Hacking Culture is sponsored by Lullabot, and I'm your host, Matthew Tift. that many people in the Drupal community know something about Backdrop. Perhaps they know it's a fork of Drupal. Maybe they have heard that Backdrop's code is more like Drupal 7 code than Drupal 8 code. Maybe, like me, they have seen Nate and Jen Lampton or another member of the Backdrop community talk about Backdrop software at a Drupal camp. Or maybe they listened to the first episode of Hacking Culture, which you can find at hackingculture.org slash episode slash one when I talk to Nate Lampton about Backdrop. But that conversation took place in January 2015, more than three years ago, and a lot has changed with Backdrop. Today's episode is the first in a series of interviews about Backdrop. I hope to learn more about Backdrop's culture. I would like to ask people why they participate in the community, and how they perceive it. I'd like to get a sense for what it's like contributing to Backdrop. If you don't know anything about Drupal or Backdrop, you might be interested just to learn more about the experience of participating in a free software project that is a fork of another free software project. I have no interest in criticizing Drupal or Backdrop. My goal is to learn more about this free software community. Incidentally, this is the same goal I had, for example, when I analyzed Drupal commit credit data and co-authored an article titled, Who Sponsors Drupal Development? I co-authored that article with Dries Boitart, the founder and project lead of Drupal. But in this episode, we examine Backdrop. And my guest today is Tom Grandy. In this episode, we will discuss Backdrop, Tom's involvement in the project, and why he participates. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Tom. It's my pleasure. To begin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. As far as professionally, what I do is I work for Tri-County Computer Services Association in Worcester, Ohio. And primarily what my job here is, I'm overseeing school district websites. Uh, We build, um, we being me and one other person, uh, and he's a SQL developer, um, and we share him amongst many other projects, uh, build websites for schools, go out and train the people who are going to be the editors, um, and try to encourage them to make wise decisions when it comes to selecting software and how to do it uh, most effectively and as cheaply as possible. Uh, without making mistakes. Uh, We've got 23 school districts that we work with, about 18 of those. uh, We currently have hosted on Drupal 7 sites uh, within our data center. And I think that's about all I'm going to say there. (laughs) Sounds good. Well, let's start by discussing the Backdrop project. When you meet someone who doesn't know anything about Backdrop or even free software, how would you describe Backdrop? Obviously, Backdrop is a a fork 
of Drupal, but many of the people that I talk to have no idea what I'm talking about when I throw around words like fork and and the, the schools that we serve. They they know what Drupal is, but if they were to if I were to say, oh, we're going to move over to Backdrop, then I would have to say, well, it's related to Drupal. If you look at how the backend works, you will find a lot of similarities and but it is a completely separate project on its own. And I, I've had to do that a few times where a few times where people have asked me, you know, well, what is backdrop, obviously? And I've tried to explain it as best I could um, without getting into the the politics of you know one over the other. Um, we have our reasons for you know selecting the, the CMS system that we we work with and um, right now, we're still trying to make a judgment on, do we go with Drupal 8? Do we go with Backdrop? You describe it in terms of its relationship to Drupal? For those who are familiar with what Drupal is, yes. Um, for those who have no idea what either is, I would just describe it as a content management system that uh, I believe has far more uh, customizability or far more custom customizable than, you know, a WordPress site or something like that. I build WordPress sites and I get to the point where I just get frustrated and Joomla sites. And, you know, I guess there's a familiarity with, with Drupal 7 for me. Drupal 6 and 7 is what we've built on for several years now. And so to move that knowledge that I have into the backdrop world uh, makes sense for me. You started with Drupal and then backdrop fit some sort of need that you felt like you weren't getting with the latest version of Drupal. And that need is to provide these 23 websites for various schools. Does that sound about right? Uh, somewhat. The There was a, a point when Drupal 8 came out and we looked at it and said, and I had been to DrupalCons for several years and the promise of it coming was there. And we had seen, you know, Angie Byron and, and several other people showcase what it was capable of doing. And when it was actually released, I had, we sat down and, and tried to build a site and we realized pretty quickly that there were technical limitations that we had that was, you know, a week into trying to, to make a site was making it rather difficult. And for on two different occasions, I ran for the, the Drupal Association board. And the platform that I was running on was, it, it seemed like that Drupal was leaving a lot of people out in the cold, myself included, uh, as far as making the transition to Drupal 8. And, and that bothered me. And, and I tried to explain that there really needs to be some sort of light version of Drupal 8 for those non-enterprise people out there who were site builders and could build a site within Drupal 7, but didn't have the budget or the, the people or the wherewithal to, to go into Drupal 8. And somebody responded after one of the interviews that we did for the, the board itself, the board interviews was, well, Backdrop could be considered the light version of Drupal. 
and I never heard of backdrop at that point. And so, you know, I did a little Google searching and the next thing I know, I was sitting on a, a Google hangout listening in on one of the weekly development meetings. And I was just dumb enough to mention, Hey, I see you need some help with documentation. I wasn't part of the conversation. I just put a little message over in the sidebar and Wes Ruvacalba got back to me by email and said, Hey, if you want to be part of the project, we'd love to have you, you know, what's your interest in documentation? So that's where I got my start. They reached out and I thought documentation would be a good place to begin. It sounds like you were fairly involved with the community. You'd been to a bunch of Drupal cons. You'd been building sites with Drupal 7. And then did you say when you started trying to build a Drupal 8 site that you found that to be a rather complex experience and that it was easier for you to build these sites for your district with Backdrop? Uh, easier with seven, uh, Drupal six and seven. And the knowledge that I had from Drupal seven made a, an easy transition into backdrop. The, you know, what I had as far as knowledge and when we sat down and tried to backwards engineer a Drupal eight site, um, especially when we got into the theme layer, we were really having problems. So, yeah, we stuck with what we knew, and that was Drupal 7. And I did build, originally we were building in Drupal 6 and then 7. And, you know, we're still looking at Drupal 8, and we've had a, a design company help us out build one. And what we don't want to do is force any of our districts into a, a painful transition and, you know, it looked like there was going to be at one point a, a migration path for seven to eight. Uh, six to eight came out first and then seven to eight. And then we tried it and it didn't quite work out as we expected. So we just, uh, maybe it's initial shock that we're like, okay, we can't exactly move 18 school districts through a process that's not solid or has all the features that we need. So let's just hold off. So we're in a holding pattern right now and trying to make a determination. Do we go with Drupal 8? Do we go with Backdrop? I see. So you're still in a evaluation period where you're trying to figure out what's best to do with these Drupal 7 sites? Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's good to know, to give a little bit of the context, because... It sounds like you are describing the scenario that we see on the Backdrop homepage where it says that Backdrop is a free and open source CMS for small to medium sized businesses and nonprofits. In your case, you're working with nonprofits. Yes, and, and we are a nonprofit. The school districts own us, so the superintendents and treasurers make up our board. They basically pool their resources to fund us as an agency. So it's not like we're making money off of them. We, we try to do things as lean as possible so it saves them money. Uh, some of the districts have gotten themselves in trouble where they've gone out and 
bought into proprietary school CMSs and spent tons of money and unnecessarily, I thought, uh, only to have some of those proprietary systems dry up and leave them hanging. So we wanted to make sure that when we went into open source, our reasoning was to ensure that we had access to a content management system for the future and never get one of our districts in a position where they're beholden to a proprietary company that could either fold or get sold to another uh, company and change pricing structure and whatnot. So we look out for their best interest because they own us. So when you're looking for a CMS now, that based on some experiences you had, that now you've decided proprietary software is just not right. And if you want to properly serve these school districts, that open source and free software is the way to go. Absolutely. The uh, when we first when I first came here, and I don't know, it's been a dozen years or, or so ago. There were school districts had their websites. Some were built on front page. Some were built on Dreamweaver. Some were coded by hand and uh, raw HTML. And we wanted to get as many of them on the uh, level playing field. And so we encouraged them to go with a proprietary system because, you know, way back, you know, content management systems are really cool and they're brand new. You know, you could do this through your browser and instead of FTPing all your changes up to the web server. And so we saw that as a real benefit as far as having many people collaborating on a website instead of just having one you know, technology coordinator in a district being in charge of everything that was emailed to them, every photo that was emailed to them to be put up on the web really wasn't very efficient. And so we, we did convince them to do that. Um, unfortunately, we did go with a proprietary school uh, system and they did fold up. And afterwards, it put us in a real bind to go out and look for, you know, what kind of content management system is out there on the horizon that's not going to go anywhere, anywhere, anytime soon. And Drupal was in the upper right quadrant, if I remember right, on the Gartner report. And we partnered with Aquium. And at that time, you know, that it was a very exciting time because we went to the DrupalCon in Chicago, I think was the first one that I had gone to. And what made it exciting for me was to see the people who were involved in the project and the excitement that was going on. Um, you saw a bunch of kids out in the hallways sitting in circles with their khakis and their camos and their hard drives in their pockets. And th there was just a, an excitement that was going on. And I got drawn into it and said, this is cool. And this is something that we want to jump on. And, and Drupal was just in its, I don't want to say its infancy, but it was in its growth stage and continue to grow. And so I guess we chose well when we chose. But then eventually with the, the big pause, for lack of a better word, when Drupal 8 was being promised and not delivered, we just thought maybe we need to look at something else. Okay. So far, I think I've heard you say at least three sort of distinct reasons for why you would choose Backdrop. The first one, it sounds like, is like a practical reason that you have to build these sites and Backdrop has these functionality. 
The second one would be that you want to use a open source and free software solution so that the school districts you're working with don't get tied in. And then you just mentioned the community as another reason. Is that a accurate summary? Absolutely. And probably of the three, I didn't expect it going into the project or going into choosing a content management system, but what really sold me was the community itself. And maybe that's because I came from a background that wasn't necessarily software or open software, open source software. You know, I came from a background in, in education. So the, the conferences that I had attended were more like, you know, English teacher conferences, which aren't the most exciting in the world. The sense of community that I got in Drupal early on turned into a whole lot of drama here in the past couple of years. And there seemed to be divisions upon divisions. And it, it got kind of ugly. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. And I'm not going to go into the specifics. But that, that, you know, I try to involve myself in the community as much as possible. When it, but when it started fragmenting like that, it, just, it got strange. And what I liked about the Backdrop community is it very much reminded me of what the Drupal community was like um, back in 2010 to 2013, um, where it was young and exciting. Um, and I'll leave it at that, but uh, it's refreshing to be involved with the backdrop. Um, not just the project itself, but the, the people who are contributing remind me a lot of the contributors that I met early on in, in, in our Drupal days. So just to be clear then, when you're talking about getting drawn into the community, you're talking about initially the Drupal community. And then now for you, that community is sort of shifted over to the backdrop community. Yes. And I guess I'm interested in finding out more about how that is now. I guess I would be curious, like, for example, you talked about going to a conference, seeing people in the halls, uh, sort of a laid back atmosphere. Is there a similar sort of community or are there conferences that you've been to that have focused just on backdrop or are you still sort of getting that community vibe through the Drupal community? Uh, the vibe that I'm getting is, well, when I first started, not quite a year ago or a little over a year ago, that it was within a month or two that I went out to bad camp and in Berkeley and, and, and there I met, you know, Nate and Jen and Jack Aponte and, and Mike, uh, McCaffrey and, also there. Oh, Wes. And so firsthand got to meet some of these people. And just, just to clarify, those are all people that are on like the leadership committee for backdrop. They are. Yes. The PMC or whatever they call it. And I just enjoyed being around them because they were very excited about what they were doing, uh, which was kind of surprising giving given how long this initial, I don't know, started what in February, 2012, I think was when it was first forked. So you're talking 
at that time, four years later, and they were still very excited about that. And then beyond meeting them in person and just the PMC, because they were doing a presentation at Bad Camp, they were doing both a training and a presentation on backdrop. So I attended those. In addition to that, the weekly meetings that they have for the the development group, the design and the community outreach of those three, the, the two that I could feel like I contribute to would be the community outreach and the uh, design part of it. When they go into development, I sit and listen. It's nice, but <laughs> I don't, I don't really feel like I am in a position where I can contribute professionally, but as a journalist, I can certainly write a whole lot of blogs that they need. And so I try to fill that. In other words, you've had interactions with people in real life at Bad Camp, which is a, for those who are not aware, it's, it stands for Bay Area Drupal Camp. So it's a Drupal conference. It happens to be one of the main organizers of that conference is Jen Lampton, who is one of the founding forkers, I think is the term they like to use, of Backdrop. So you've had these interactions with them at that conference. Are, are there other specific backdrop uh, meetups or get-togethers that you've attended, or is this mostly the in-real-life stuff at uh, Drupal conference? The real-life meetup was at Drupal, or at Bad Camp, and I tend to go back again this year. Um, but in the, the weekly meetings, there have been several conferences. You know, Jen and Nate go to conferences all over the world and, and do their presentations. And so I, I'm actually now, I mean, I've been to every DrupalCon since 2010 or 2011. And this will be the first North American DrupalCon that I won't go to um, in favor of um, camps. And so I'll definitely be going to bad camp and possibly another one and not necessarily just for backdrop but because i i really did enjoy the the smaller setting and the, the ability to ask questions of a lot of people who were presenting at DrupalCon. so uh, i did find the the camps to be a nicer venue <laughs> a smaller venue where you could get to know some of the presenters personally so I think, um, you know, the cons kind of, they're wonderful, but I think I could get more out of a camp. And so I'm looking for camps like the one that you do, what, Twin Cities? That's right. And, you know, that would be one that I would like to attend. And, and, and wh whether it has, you know, backdrop there or not, um, I would still like to attend and maybe at some point actually be a backdrop presenter. Yeah, that's interesting. I just heard Mike Anello in... David Hernandez, I believe, talking about Drupal camps and Drupal cons, and they came to the same conclusion as you that they think more people might be heading towards Drupal camps because of the smaller atmosphere. And it's it's interesting to note too that, again, for those not involved in the Drupal community, that the backdrop sessions are generally welcome at a lot of camps, that Jen and Nate do these these presentations, they've done a few of them at Twin Cities Drupal Camp, and we welcome that. And the Drupal cons, as far as I know, I don't know that they there are any backdrop sessions that happen. 
No. I don't know how official that is, but that is, that's my understanding. So it sounds like, though, still, uh, years into this, I think they announced the fork in 2013. Okay. And here we are. I don't know if it's been quite five years, but it's been, you know, a few years later. And it seems like the two cultures are still very much entwined. Backdrop and Drupal. Well, I think for many people like myself, where it's still, you know, if you're building backdrop sites, you've probably got some Drupal sites that you're building as well or maintaining. And so they're not exclusive. Um, at some point, we may be entirely backdrop. Um, at some point, we may be Drupal 7 sites, a few Drupal 8 sites, and some backdrop sites. Um, but I don't know that there are that many people out there that are just pure backdrop developers. You know, that's the only thing that they've ever encountered because I think there was some flow over from the Drupal community to backdrop. Um, however, there are, you know, these days, you know, and some of the issue queues and whatnot for backdrop, you, you have some newbies that are coming in and saying, I just discovered backdrop and I think it's wonderful and I need some help. I'm trying to, to do X, I'm trying to do install or whatever it may be. And so there are those people who are coming to backdrop from, you know, a WordPress or a Joomla or, or whatever. Uh, so th there may be a day in the future where you just have a true backdrop community, but I think, and this is just my opinion, uh, the majority of people who are involved have a background in Drupal to begin with. It reminds me a little bit hearing you talk about when I first got involved with Drupal. I was working on a website for Wisconsin Public Radio, okay. and I was evaluating different content management systems because we had an aging cold fusion system that we <laughs> wanted to update. And I remember finding Drupal and being very much excited about the community and reading all of these people that were at universities and in education and in nonprofits that were using Drupal. And it seemed like this was a good fit, not just technologically, but philosophically. So I came to it from a real sort of philosophical, like this seems like the right thing to do. And I wonder if people can still, you know, come to these projects and, and have that same kind of feeling because I sense from you a little bit of hesitation that it feels maybe like it's not just the technology side that is changing in a way that you're not connecting with as much. It sounds like you have, you have sort of a philosophical connection to what the backdrop community represents. Yeah. And let me take that a little bit further in that, you know, originally when I, I came into Drupal, like I said, it was not a bunch of corporations. It was like 
like you, you were looking at universities and nonprofits, and I was attending these, you know, presentations by people who were doing some pretty exceptional things for the world, you know, doing something good and making the world a better place. And that very much impressed me. And the backdrop philosophy and community seems to be coming from that same niche and that market I want to be a part of, or I am a part of. So when I sit down and I'm not going to go into the names of these rather large companies. At first it was pretty cool to go to a DrupalCon and sit down next to a, you know, a, a company that was a large pharmaceutical and talk about what they were doing with Drupal or sitting next to, you know, a, some stock exchange. And, and so there were these large players entering that I had absolutely nothing in common with. And that turned me off. And so I was looking for seeking out the, the universities, which obviously schools would have more in common with. But even the universities that I was talking to were looking to make a decision of what they were going to do next. Uh, some of those were still sitting on Drupal 6. And I hated to see that segment leave, and hopefully they stay, or they look at Backdrop as a, a viable option for Drupal 8. And regardless, that type of sense of doing good for the greater cause of humanity is something that I hold dear. And I, I don't see that with some of the, the large enterprise players that have been coming into uh, the Drupal world. The marketing around Drupal certainly is focused on large enterprises these days, at least from some some parts of the community. There are certainly others, like the Drutopia project comes to mind, where they are specifically trying to use Drupal and build on Drupal to, to do things for good. And I, I know there's still a yeah. lot of people that are, that are, are using Drupal for the same kind of purpose. And I, I think that it's, it's good to have these multiple avenues that people can examine to say, well, do I want to, do I want to use Drupal or do I want to be part of a sort of subset of Drupal or do I want to use something like Civi CRM, which has tentacles into all kinds of other areas, or do I want to use backdrop? The connection between all of these technologies is pretty strong. And I think that when we have a situation where people start to describe these differences in one is better or worse, or one is good or bad, then that can lead to some divisions that I don't think anybody wants. Well, there's some like-mindedness there. And I've heard Dries say many times over and over again, you know, you know, doing good, you know, Drupal for doing good. And I think his heart has always been in the right place. But, you know, there was a an interview that you had. You and Dries were being interviewed 
it was a lullaby podcast at one point. Um, and, you know, he was talking about, you know, losing the hobbyists. And all I could think of was there was a, you know, that it was okay to lose the hobbyists because the greater good was being able to provide jobs for people who are making money building Drupal sites and, and doing good and providing, you know, income into the economy. And then I thought of, you know, a Drupal camp that I'd gone to in Ohio and there was this whole guy I was sitting next to who did a RC club. He did a website for a, a radio controlled airplane club or something like that. And after, when I heard your, or that podcast that you and Dries were on, I thought, and he kind of said, well, we're going to be losing some of the hobbyists and that's okay. And I thought, well, that is that RC guy that I was sitting next to at the Drupal camp in Ohio. And what if he was a major contributor? Maybe he was just an RC enthusiast. Maybe he was just a hobbyist who had a website, but was he a contributor to the, the project? And if he was, and you've just turned on him, then did you just turn away a contributor? And that doesn't sit well with me either. And I don't want to get on bashing anybody, but that was certainly something that I thought you just gave away a segment of your market and possible contributors who kept this thing going. Okay. Change subject. please. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about education and this is Good. Uh, selfish for me because I've been involved with a number of efforts teaching kids to code. Wonderful. We've been actually really successful in my local district, and we've had coding camps and coding clubs awesome. and coder dojos, and it's been a lot of fun. And one area where I've had some difficulty is trying to describe the importance of free software to say teachers or a superintendent or a principal or someone along those lines. How do you describe this in a way that gets them excited? It's a good question. The school districts and superintendents and the, the treasurers and the fiscal people want to know what the bottom line is. And so if I can tell them, well, by going with an open source product, you're going to save money, they're all in. Um, that's where the conversation stops. And, and that's just being honest. The, the philosophical truth behind it, as far as me going into why it's a good decision, doesn't seem to be something I have to explain. Um, sadly, I, I could, but they really are looking at fiscally, how much is this going to cost me? And if I say, okay, we're going to go with an Adobe product, it's going to cost you $20,000 a year, or we can go with this, you know, backdrop is open source and it's going to cost you X amount, which, but we charge is ridiculously low or free. That's what they're looking at, you know, their bottom line. I know that's not the answer you're looking for, but I've, I've yet to have that philosophical discussion with a superintendent. Have you talked with other people in the technology area that share your sort of passion for the philosophy behind some of these projects? Yeah. When you, when you talk to somebody who 
understands what open source is. I mean, we have a few tech coordinators, for example, who are very versed in what open source is. And as a result of, you know, being in education and, you know, they're trying to find ways to, <laughs> again, save money, you know, how can they use open office instead of Microsoft or use Google um, Drive or whatever docs to save money? It, it's, it always boils down to, you know, philosophically, yes, they believe in it. But the, the real answer is how can we make our technology budget go further? And in a lot of these school districts, that technology budget is pretty slim to begin with. And I hate to say it's just a, a fiscal decision, but in many cases it is. I would love to have that philosophical discussion with somebody who really wanted to take it to a, to that level. I think you and I could sit down and talk for quite a while, but I just don't get approached with those types of questions. I'm not going to try and criticize the way things are, but I, <laughs> I would like to continue to explore ways that we could make schools an environment where kids are taught using free software rather than given an iPad and go purchase this app and you can't hack on anything and you can't change it and technology is something that you just consume rather than something that you can learn, something you can participate in with the community of other people. I'm on the lookout for ways that we can try and teach that in an educational setting. Okay, let me give you a perfect example. You've, you've taught, you know, building websites in, in Drupal or in coding in raw HTML. And I did that for several school districts that we serve, whether it was a, a short, you know, middle school camp or whether it was a high school class to help get a teacher started. And what I found out real quick was the, the kids that I had in class, the one, okay, one district in particular, you know, they had purchased Dreamweaver and FrontPage and they thought for sure the kids were going to just want to have some GUI that they could just, you know, put Legos together and make a website. And what they found or what I found is the kids did it and said, well, that's boring. What's going on behind the scenes? And so once they got their hand on the code, they could see, okay, this is how HTML is structured. This is what's going on. This is how I can change it. Then it opened up a world for them that they became interested. They had no interest in putting pieces together. They wanted to know what was going on behind the scenes. And they would find these user groups or you know JavaScript libraries that have been shared out there. And they would go out and find a little JavaScript and put it into their website and then customize it. So there was that sense of sharing that was going on that was far more meaningful to them than here's front page, make a Word document and save it out as a web page. You know, that was just extremely boring. So, you know, from a, a philosophical teaching standpoint, having that sense of community and sharing and collaborating is far more important than having a piece of software that does it for you. 
So do you think there are ways that people who are excited about free software or excited about backdrop or whether they're a developer or they're just passionate for it, do you think there's ways that they could help by volunteering or contributing some way in schools that might create a little bit of that spark? You know, getting volunteers into the classroom who are knowledgeable and are helpful and are welcomed, you know, extend what a school district is able to offer its its students. And I think that's always welcomed. I think sometimes it can just feel like the school is like almost another corporation that they, like you said, have have these budget needs, that they have these kinds of education goals that are handed down to them, and that when you come in and try and talk about something that's totally foreign, like open source or free software, wouldn't it be nice if we could teach coding in the same way that we teach writing? Just another skill that people use, not as this is a skill that you use to learn how to make money. Sadly, schools are strapped not so much by money, by the limitations that their state governments put on or the federal governments put on and, and the testing that they're expected, that they're being judged by. And I could go on for hours about that. You know, my teaching background, my wife's a teacher, and they really don't have, I mean, she's a, a seventh grade teacher and every single moment of the day is taken up there's just no wiggle room for something else so when you talk about teaching you know something in addition to what's expected of them for their kids to pass the test they're really hesitant because it's going to take away that time so if you get into a, a club type of thing that you know this is an after school club it's not going to bite into the, the daily schedule or you know, this is a camp that we're offering in the summertime. They're more than willing to let you in that way. But the daily period by period and all the stuff that they're trying to get in is darn near impossible to, to say, okay, we're going, going to open up X amount of time for you to come in and teach coding. That I understand. So bringing this back to backdrop, do, <laughs> do you think, well, I, I took us off on the tangent. That's fine. No, I could go on that one for a long time. but Now that we've established something about backdrop, something about education, do you think that, let's say you were to make all these sites in backdrop for a school district, do you think that has any effect on moving the needle to raising the awareness of free software? In an ideal world, I would say yes. In a realistic one, what I try to do is make some of those philosophical decisions for them so that when, you know, what's going to change their mind or what's going to help them adopt it is an ease of use. You know, is this easier than how we did before? Is it 
less clunky. You know, can I ask for something that it'll do, you know, not necessarily out of the box, but you can build a new content type that meets a need. And if the answer is yes, then they're going to go for it. For me to go in and say, you know, this is philosophically why your district wants to choose open source. I, I can make that and they'll shake their heads and say, but is it easier? So there's a realistic argument and there's a philosoph philosophical one. And I guess not that I'm the gatekeeper, but I'm a army of 1.2 people who look at it and say, this is the right thing to do. I can talk to my tech coordinators about why it's the right thing to do, but it's not going to trickle down to the content editor who is the secretary at the school site, who's trying to update the photo gallery, who's trying to update the news, who's trying to update, you know, the newsletters and push it out. In addition to holding the wastebasket for the kid who's throwing up, it's just not on, it's not something that is going to come to the table, I'm afraid. You have described yourself as a non-coder. Yep. And you have a background in journalism. Do you think that there could ever be a way where you would, say, teach a backdrop after-school club or something like that in a high school or a middle school in your district? If you personally were going to volunteer, could you imagine doing something like that? Or do you think it would just, it would probably be too challenging just convincing kids to come to learn about a CMS or getting it set up technologically. In other words, do you think Backdrop could have any role in helping teach kids to use technology in a different way? Absolutely, I do. Um, especially an after-school type or, or camp program. There, there's a, a, point with, a point at which a lot of kids are bored with the, the curriculum that they're presented with. And when they're given the opportunity to learn something new, uh, especially those who are interested in, in coding to begin with, they'll jump on it. And they, you know, as far as me going in there, I think based on the success I've had in the past doing very similar things before I was in the Drupal and Backdrop, the, the underlying goal would be to, to get them to think independently and to come up with solutions to problems. So, you know, using backdrop as, okay, here is a problem that we have that we want to create a menu that gets pushed out to all of the parents in the, the district for the lunch menu and say, okay, you need to make a content type that does that. And in addition to that, you need to make sure that it can be mailed out and have people have the, a form that they could sign up to subscribe. That type of thinking, you know, here's the problem, here's the piece, not me showing them step by step by step how to, but to get them to think through the process. That's where a lot of real deep learning takes place, in my opinion. We tend to focus on the tools, but if you can talk about solving the problems then, then the kids can become a little more interested if they believe that there is a problem. Yeah, I, I think there was a, a, a real valid, I think it was project-based learning once upon a time. They'll probably bring it back in a, a different form with a different name. They just regenerate a lot of these. I was a real advocate of that when I taught because 
it wasn't memorization. The rote memorization has a, a lifespan of about 24 hours. You know, when you have a kid work through a problem, thinking through it on their own, coming up with their own solution, you know, there's a sense of pride. There's a, a thought process that they've gone through that can be carried over into many other, you know, projects and throughout their lifetime. And, and, you know, backdrop or whatever the vehicle is, is important so that they can do that. But the better thing is that they go through the thought process to come up with an original idea. If somebody was interested in contributing to backdrop, how would you suggest that they get involved? Well, if they are like me, who know, knows very little about when when I got into backdrop, they were saying, well, just go over to GitHub or get on Gitter. I didn't know what they were talking about. And so Gitter, I made a Gitter account and I got on there and I was following their conversations and it was easy for me to pop in and say, Hey, what do you need some help with? And, you know, they said, what can you do? And I said, well, I can write, I'm a journalist. And they said, well, we can use some help with documentation or we can use help with, you know, news releases. I was like that, that's something that I can do. And it was a, just having a willingness and some time to help out. Um, for those who are more versed with GitHub and pull requests and issue queues, you know, that might be right down your lane. It, it seemed like the easiest way for me to jump in was by, I think it's every Thursday that they have a, a development hangout. And it's, if you follow their Twitter feed, they always post it about an hour ahead of time, whether it's a community outreach meeting or a design meeting or a development meeting depending on what your background is, if one of those three sound appealing to you, you know, follow the, the backdrop CMS on Twitter. And when they announce that the hangouts are going to happen at I think three o'clock Eastern standard time would be the community and outreach meetings um, and the design meetings on Thursdays, followed by at four o'clock is the development meeting. That would probably be the easiest way to at least watch what's going on. And then if you feel brave enough to, you know, actually be part of the discussion, I don't think they would ever turn anybody away. You know, it's, it's very much an open and welcoming group. So just to be clear, if people are listening and they're excited about your description of backdrop or your experiences or the philosophy that they could just show up to these meetings and listen, they wouldn't have to talk, and if they wanted to talk, they probably could volunteer, and there probably would be friendly people there to greet them and help them and find something for them to work on. Absolutely. Absolutely true and, and accurate. I, I don't think anybody is going to yeah, – I don't know. It's, they are a very, very welcoming group, and just – my own experience was I came in just completely out of the blue and said, what do you need help with? I like what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing and I want to participate. And within a day or two, they threw me out a few bones and said, do you think this is something you could work on? At the same time, they threw me some things and said, oh, would you mind going out and approving pull requests? And I said, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable doing it. 
And so once they found out what my skill sets were and where I could best help, then that's what I did. And I think the same can be true for anybody who tries to come into the project. You're going to find yourself welcome and there will be something that you can certainly do and they will send you in the right direction. Well, that sounds like a pretty big win from where I'm standing because I know getting non-technical people to be involved in free software projects can be a challenge. If they made you feel welcome enough to join up and find a place, then it sounds like they're definitely doing something right. They are. And and I I didn't know if I had anything that I could contribute, but once they found out that, you know, yeah, okay, I'm somewhat technical and I do build Drupal sites. I am a site builder. I'm not a developer. I'm not a programmer. I'm not a themer. I'm not a backender, but I am somebody who can write in English and have a background in journalism and, and video. And, you know, for example, right now there's an initiative that we have to make some short training videos and they're not like long training videos. You're talking about anywhere from 30 seconds to two minutes showing how to do something with um, backdrop. And that's a need that we have right now. So there might be somebody out there who says, yeah, you know, I make training videos. I'm really good at it. To make a 30 second or a two minute how-to snippet would be nothing for me, but that would be a huge help to the backdrop community and, and the backdrop initiative itself. I think you're doing an excellent job representing the backdrop community, Tom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Hopefully I haven't said anything that's incorrect. I, I would like to think there isn't a a correct version. We have to come up with mission statements and goals and and these things that we put on the website. And that can be the first interaction people have with the project is just text or maybe a technical demo. But the kind of atmosphere and interaction that you're describing where somebody can just go hop on their computer, see real people discussing issues, it emphasizes the human aspect of these projects in a way that's inviting. And then to be able to realize that, oh my gosh, I could contribute. <laughs> well, you know, you look at people and you say, you know, what's your gift? What, what are you good at doing? And everybody has something to contribute. And, you know, yeah, it may be a technical project in, in its nature, but there are all kinds of ways to contribute without being overwhelmed. And when you're a small project with, you know, six people trying to do everything, it's really easy to get burnt out real quick. But when that six people become 60, become 600, become 6,000, then the project grows because it was welcoming. If they were very inclusive and said, yeah, thanks for your help, but we got enough people, uh, they're going to stay at that same six people for a long, long time. So it, it's vital that any open source project have that welcoming attitude to find something for anybody who's willing to say, hey, I'm willing to volunteer and help. Show me the way. And as long as you have people there showing them the way, it, it's going to be a success. And I think Backdrop and Jen and Nate and Mike and Gregory and, you know, <laughs> Wes and everybody who's involved at the top and, and on down through. I mean, there's a, 
a large language initiative going on right now as well uh, with Olaf. And, you know, these people are volunteering their time and you've got to respect that and be thankful. But at the same time, anybody who wants to join in, you know, be open to them because they are what's going to take you down a road to success. I have another question for you, and I don't want you to try and look up an answer, but sure. you said six or 60 or 600 or 6,000 people. What sort of feeling do you get that the Backdrop community is? Does it feel like a community of 60 or six, or what kind of community does it feel like to you when you're participating? Well, if I were to guess, I'd say you know, a couple hundred right now. I, I don't know. I'm not looking it up. But you see people pop in and out. And, you know, you have your regulars, obviously. And there's a dozen regulars who are there on a weekly basis who are always participating. But then these other names keep popping up all the time. And so when you take those in hold, then it's like, okay, this is this is 100 people. And then and I don't know why right now it seems like there are a lot of new players coming on board, uh, names that I hadn't seen before. And then when you follow the discussion, they're new to the project. Um, not new to the world of Drupal, but they're coming into the backdrop world saying, hey, I'd like to do X. Do you mind if I take over this pro this module? You know, Do you mind if I port this module? There's a lot of those people coming out of the woodwork. And I don't know why right now, other than there's some momentum. And it seems to be a very good thing. Sure. I think that's another important point is for people to understand if they want to contribute to a project like Backdrop, that they, they're they not committing themselves to con contributing X number of hours for X number of years. They could come in, do that thing that they want to do, and then, and then they're not required to continue. But if they like what they see and they are enjoying their interactions with the other people or feeling good about their contributions, then they can continue. Absolutely. And I, th I think just based on the, the short time that I've been involved with the project, those who have popped up on the radar and said, I, I want to port this module. It may be another month or two, and then they pop up again and say, hey, I've got another need. Do you mind if I do this or that or, or whatever? So, you know, I, I guess I'm best with words, so I stick to things like documentations and blogs and news releases, but, you know, there's a need for that too. And, you know, anytime I do something like that, it takes a little bit of pressure off the people who are doing this on a daily basis. And if I can pop in once a week and, you know, contribute two or three hours throughout the week, fabulous. I've got that time. And I'm sure that was the case with you, too. I mean, you've been involved with the Drupal project for a long time. You know, when it comes to volunteerism, you can over volunteer yourself and get burnt out really fast or you can kind of pick and choose what you're willing to contribute both in time and an effort and still get that appreciation from the people who are leading the project it's, it's pretty cool i mean when jen or nate say thank you that's enough for me this has been a great conversation tom do you have any final words that you wanted to share about Backdrop? Any other topics that maybe you wanted to cover that we didn't mention? 
Well, I'm sure there's a lot here. I, I, I had stuff written up and I completely ignored it. <laughs> so, you know, we were, it's very much a conversation that I enjoyed and hopefully I didn't paint Drupal in a bad light. I don't mean to do that. So I guess I, I hope for the future that, you know, Backdrop can continue in its own direction. Drupal can continue in its own direction and both have very happy communities that are contributing and successful. If people wanted to get in touch with you, how would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, by email. Uh, it's probably the easiest. Um, my email is tomgrandy, T-O-M-G-R-A-N-D-Y at gmail.com. That's probably the easiest. Thanks again, Tom. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. observe the things in this world, we find that if it's a thing, it starts and it eventually ends. It's an inescapable fact of life. In Tom's case, he found proprietary software for the school districts he supports, and the company that made the software came to its end. At that point, Tom's only choice was to find something new. He found the Drupal software in the community that makes it. However, Tom has observed changes in the Drupal software and the Drupal community while continuing to use the software. Instead of having no choice, he now has multiple choices. With free software comes freedom. In our discussion about the Backdrop community, Tom and I talked a lot about Drupal. Clearly, this goal of understanding the backdrop community and culture is going to be difficult because people in the backdrop community have Drupal on their minds. This interview highlights another inescapable fact of life. We are all connected. People in the Drupal community might not like backdrop. They might even tolerate backdrop, in which case they might be interested in my previous episode about the paradox of tolerance at hackingculture.org slash episode slash 12. The situation with these two communities reminds us once again that we are all inextricably connected and that we must endeavor to treat one another with kindness. Backdrop and Drupal are connected by software architecture, commit history, conferences, and contributors. Tom mentioned that most of the people he meets in the Backdrop community come from Drupal. I also noticed in this interview the difficulty in teasing out the differences between the Drupal of the past, the Drupal of the present, and the backdrop of the present. I admit that I was not always sure which community we were talking about. But fear not, I will continue to investigate, dig deeper, and learn more about backdrop's culture. If you'd like to learn more about any of the topics that Tom and I mentioned, visit this episode's page at hackingculture.org slash episode slash 13. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hacking Culture. You can learn more about this show and subscribe at lullabot.com slash hackingculture. Please follow at Hacking Culture and at Matthew Tift on Twitter 
This episode is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States License. Hacking Culture is produced at Lullabot. The theme music is from the Open Goldberg Variations. Thank you for listening. <laughs>